we're in Matthew chapter 5. We're talking about the Beatitudes, and we've gone, we went halfway through them, if you remember, and the first half was our relationship to God. And remember, this is a blueprint for how to live a good Christian life. It is definitely a lesson, a message for us as followers of Christ. It's what he wants us to know. And now we're into the second half. And the second half of this is our relationship with others. How do we as Christians live in relationship to others? And how do we, how should we treat each other? And, and a big part of it is how, how do we, from our side of things, build those relationships. So let's go ahead, if you would stand with me. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 7 again. And uh, then we'll get into this. This is the second half of this message we started last week. It says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You may be seated. As I said last week, we deserve nothing from God as human beings. We were created by God for his purpose. He owes us nothing. Yet he gives to us, he blesses us, and he shows us his love towards us in many ways. He's given us the amazing gift, many amazing gifts, but especially the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life through his divine grace, and grace is a special gift from God. Now we come to that beatitude that says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And I had, uh, every once in a while, I'll preach a message, and there will be a lot of commentary afterwards. A lot of people coming up to me, a lot of people messaging me, talking to me afterwards. And I can tell it's kind of like a, a grain, a, a pebble in a shoe, because it irritates a little bit. And uh, by the amount of uh, conversation, let's say that, that had, has been after uh, the first half of this message, I can tell that this is something that strikes a chord. I won't say strikes a nerve, but strikes a chord with us as followers of Christ. Mercy. Mercy is different than grace. Grace, we all love grace because grace is all about a gift, right? Grace is getting something we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Now, we as receivers love mercy, right? Because we don't get what we do deserve. The problem with mercy comes, comes in this way. Because, we, because God was merciful to us, he says, you should show mercy to others. And mercy is incredibly difficult. With grace, grace we can give out of our abundance, we can give out of a heart of love and things like that. Mercy is giving someone, giving someone incredibly undeserving what something they, it, it's not giving somebody who is very deserving of something what they don't deserve. In other words, someone who deserves a punishment, someone who deserves um, an attitude, someone who deserves a comeback, somebody who deserves our anger and our spite and what we may, we, we may even think our hatred and animosity and writing them off, those people that deserve that may not get that because of mercy. So mercy is very much a different animal when it comes to building relationships, but that is exactly what we're called to do. In fact, it's one of our taglines here, relationships build churches. I believe firmly, always have, that it's not going to be my preaching that builds the church. It's not going to be uh, the building, it's not going to be the grounds, it's not going to be a sunny day. It's going to be the people in the church building relationships with other people, getting to know other people, take, making, uh, showing concern, showing love and compassion for other people, reaching out and helping other people in need. It's going to be the relationships that we build within this congregation that continue to build this church. The relationships that we build outside of this church that will continue to bring people in to this church. And that's what these next four uh, Beatitudes are all about. James 2.13 said this last week as well. In James 13, we get a very interesting statement. 
If you remember last week, we spent a little time on this. It said, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that whole passage, we broke it down a little bit. Mercy, as I said, is getting what we don't deserve, not getting what we do deserve. Triumphs over means is above, is over, has bragging rights over. And judgment is an opinion or decision given concerning anything. So mercy is what we express when we have the right to express something different, something punitive, something uh, out of, um, I won't say spite, but something someone deserves, a punishment that somebody deserves, a consequence that someone deserves. I mean, in a, in a, in a very simple, not deep example, we'll talk about children, right? Your children may deserve a punishment for what they did, but in your mercy as a parent, you let it go because you think a lesson would be taught better by not going through the punishment and simply having what you did. So you show mercy so they don't get what they did deserve. But when we extrapolate that over life as adults, the, problem, the problems of life get much bigger right, when you become an adult. That's why we work with our kids. That's why we talk to our kids. That's why we teach our kids. That's why we train our kids. That's why in my house, uh, our children are learning. You, you can, I, I tell, you know, the girls, we're past the honeymoon period uh, of them being with us. And we're now some, you know, the, the real living in a home in our situation is coming to terms. And of course, they were raised a different way than, than, than our home is. So there's always those conversations. And I'll tell them, if you have questions about that, ask, ask Zach, your big brother Zach, because he's 38 and I raised him. And it was the same way when I raised him and his two sisters. Um, the reason we do that with our children, the reason we take those stands is because we know that when they become adults, Life gets much more complicated. Life gets much more difficult. Life gets much more uh, of a struggle. And the problems are no longer, did I chew bubble gum and leave it underneath the dining room table? Yeah. Right? Not that anybody would ever do that. The problems are much, much bigger than that. And if we don't teach our children when they're young how to handle the struggles and the pressures of life in principled ways, then when they become adults, they're going to be dysfunctional, not understanding, not knowing how to deal with the pressures and the problems of life. That's why you'll hear me say it all the time, and, and I, I know people disagree with me, and that's fine, but I would just say this, I come from a long, many years of dealing with teenagers and families I'm telling you, you let your kid have all the, all the autonomy you think they need and deserve, and you're going to raise a kid that gives you hell on earth as a teenager. If you don't, if you don't teach your child, uh, and I'm talking about the right way, I'm not talking about abuse. If you don't teach your child the proper way to deal with adversity in life, the proper way to deal with others, the proper way to handle problems and issues, then your child is going to be dysfunctional when they become an adult. And it's going to be very, very difficult for them to deal with things. So we then ask the question, how do we demonstrate mercy towards others in practical ways in our lives? The first one was this, very, very simply, mercy comes from mercy. Mercy comes from mercy. Mercy finds its beginning in mercy. Jesus is our source of mercy. He's our example of mercy. He's our teacher in mercy. Therefore, in order to understand mercy, in order to understand what mercy is, how it's displayed, and the effects of mercy towards others, we need to teach, we, we need to, to learn and understand the teachings of Jesus Christ because he is our source of mercy. And we said a great verse for understanding the mercy of God in its fullness was Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were the sinners. We were the ones that were wrong. We were the ones that were uh, deserving of de uh, death and hell. 
But God, in his mercy, sent his son to die for us, and now we don't get what we do deserve. Grace comes into the picture and gives us salvation. Second thing we said was mercy, by definition, is for the undeserving. You don't give mercy to uh, people who don't wrong you. There's no need for it. People who are not on the wrong side of things, people who are not, have not done anything uh, harmful or hurtful, they don't need mercy because they're okay. It's the people that, uh, undeserving people are in need of mercy. So in the second half of that, kind of addressed our mentality, mercy by definition is for the undeserving, so stop trying to figure out who deserves it. You see, as human beings, we wanna put our qualifiers on everything, right? And our qualifiers come from the way we were raised, they come from our worldview, the way we see things. That's why it's so vitally important that we dig into God's word and understand the Bible and allow the Bible to permeate and penetrate our worldview. So that our worldview is no longer our, uh, the way we were raised necessarily, our worldview is through the lens of the word of God. Now, that may not be what we like to hear, but that's exactly what we need to hear as Christians. We need to view this world. We need to view our relationships. We need to re, uh, view our marriage. We need to view our children and parenting and everything, our, our service in the church. We need to view it through the lens of the word of God. And let's be honest, the reason we struggle with showing mercy and giving mercy is because it's for those who don't deserve it, right? The questions we have about or the, the, the exceptions, the caveats that we try to find for expressing mercy are all because in our heart, we understand that mercy is for those who don't deserve it. That brings us to point number three, where we'll pick up today. Mercy leads with a heart of compassion. Mercy leads with a heart of compassion. Compassion gives mercy its purpose. Okay, compassion gives mercy its purpose. Mercy isn't just something to make you feel good about yourself. In fact, many times, and, and for those of you who have ever done this, whoever expressed mercy in a very difficult situation, mercy doesn't always make you feel good about yourself, does it? Mercy is a struggle within because you are fighting against what you know not what you believe, what you know people deserve. And it goes against every, every, every thought of justice that you have in your mind. It, goes against, it may go against every thought of justice we have in society. Yet when it comes to mercy, mercy leads with a heart of compassion. Well, mercy is generally something that is, is displayed to an adversary or someone with whom we have a profound disagreement as a follower of Jesus, there should be a greater purpose than simply clearing the air on a matter or letting someone off the hook because that's what we think we're doing, right? We think we're letting someone off the hook when we express mercy or when we even think about it. The purpose of mercy is to bring about a change. Now, a change in you, no doubt about that, but I would argue, or I could argue, that the change in you comes before you express mercy because you have to get to the place of mercy in your life. You have to get to the place where you realize that mercy is what is required, and by expressing mercy, you are going to make a difference in this matter. Compassion helps us to understand that there is hope for the object of our mercy. Compassion moves us beyond mercy into action. Jesus, several times in, in the Gospels, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion and then acted. Jesus looked upon Jerusalem. This, this one really gets me. This one really gets me. Um, Bible tells us that Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he knew that the people there, the religious leaders, he knew that those people were the ones that were going to scream and cry out for his death. He knew that those were the ones who were going to decide 
his own countrymen, his own, his own fellow Jews, were the ones who were going to decide that he was going to die from the human side. Yet Jesus, the Bible says, looked over Jerusalem, and the Bible says he looked over Jerusalem with compassion and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times would I want you, would I want to gather you under my wings like chicks and protect you? How many times would I want, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving my own, uh, going out on my own here. How many times have I looked out, how many times have I seen you, and how many times have I wanted to just hug you and love you and help you to understand that what I have for you is what you need so desperately? but you wouldn't. Yet, with compassion, he still was moved to do for these people what they didn't deserve. Even though he was treated the way he was by those crowds, by those fellow Jewish people, by the Romans, everybody that screamed for him to be crucified, he still in his mercy died on the cross for their sins. Compassion moves us into action. We don't just show mercy. We do something about the reason why mercy is needed in the first place. In our criminal justice system, occasionally a judge will show mercy, and the mercy is given with the hope that it will inspire the criminal to change his ways or her ways. That is one of the leading qualities of mercy for us many times folks listen many times yes what they deserve is exactly what they deserve and what we want to give them or what we want to leave them it is exactly what they deserve but is that going to fix the problem is that going to fix the issue is that going to help them or is it simply going to bury them under more life more problems more issues Getting what they deserve may be the right thing, humanly speaking, but is it what is going to be best for that individual and the kingdom of God? You see, if we don't look at mercy in our lives, the expression of mercy towards others as followers of Jesus with a kingdom perspective, then we're missing the point of mercy. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 Say, because the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Aylan talked about spring and the newness of spring and the beauty of it and trees, blue, uh, bud, you know, trees budding, flowers blooming, all those things. And it reminds us of the newness we know, uh, and, and, and the, the hope of, of spring and all this. But you know, did you know that it also, remind, it also should remind us of God's mercy to us as human beings, as followers of Jesus? The fact that he gives us air to breathe every day. The fact that he gives us food to eat every day, even if you're a, a vegan and eat cardboard. If, <laughs> the fact... The fact that he does what he does for us every day and is faithful every day in the basic provisions of life for us, even those who mock him, even those who are so determined not to admit that there is a God that they now say the universe so, seriously, I got to tell you, man, seriously, that is the most ridiculous thought, uh, most ridiculous phrase ever in my life. It's like the universe. Do you not understand that you're, you're just giving credibility to our belief that there is a higher power in charge of all this? Anyway, we're not going to get off on that. <sighs> Greg Long wrote a song. CeCe Winans has also recorded it. It's called Mercy Says No. Mercy Said No. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you slip away. You don't have to be afraid. When life and death stood face to face and darkness tried to steal my heart away, 
mercy said no. Think about that. We think about the power of the words, the, the descriptives of that song. When darkness tried to steal my heart, when, when darkness had a plan for my life, when darkness was going to take me under, when, when darkness was gonna steal everything, when sin was gonna steal everything, every moment of joy, every happiness, it stole my childhood, right? It stole my relationship with my spouse. It stole so much of my life and darkness wanted to steal everything in my life. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? God steps in and says, no. No, 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 no. Not if my mercy has anything to say about it. It doesn't. My mercy says no. I'm not going to let you go. You can run, but you can't hide. You can go as deep as you want to go, but I'm still there. You can go as high as you want to go, literally and figuratively, and I'm still there. You can go as far from me as you think is possible, and I'm still there. Why? Because my mercy says no. I'm not going to let you go. Go back. Mercy builds mercy. Mercy comes from mercy. If that's the, if that's the length that God's mercy will go to us, are you starting to see a pattern the mercy that we expect to express to others or pray about expressing or think about expressing. Because let's be honest, mercy is one of, the, uh, one of the, the, the biggest struggles many of us have. It should mirror the mercy that God has for us. It shouldn't be our, our sin that is shocking because sinners sin. This is one thing I say all the time. Listen, As Christians, we get, we get into causes and we, we, we rail on people and the way they live. But let's, uh, folks, listen, sinners are going to sin, right? They're going to sin. So you can be upset about it. You can take offense to it. But for crying out loud, it shouldn't shock you because that's what human beings do. Sinners sin. It shouldn't be... It shouldn't be our sin that is shocking because that's what sinners do. It's the fact that God shows mercy to us as sinners that should shock us. He, took, he looks at us in our helpless, rebellious state and says, I will show you mercy and give you a chance and a gift that you don't deserve. That is the incomprehensible part of our relationship with God, that in spite of ourselves, he shows us mercy. In spite of myself, in spite of my failures, in spite of my anger, in spite of, in spite of my consistent and continual falling from him and, and, and running from his grace and being who I am, and in spite of all that I am not, he still extends his mercy to me. That's what should be so shocking. Sometimes the only solution to the problem is to show mercy. Next point is this. It follows up with mercy leads with a heart of compassion. Mercy gets its hands dirty. Mercy is compassion in action. It is literally your faith mixed with compassion, motivated into action. Why do we show mercy? Why should we show mercy? Why do we, as followers of Jesus, why is it important that we show mercy? Well, here's why. One reason. Because mercy sees the value of a life and not the lack of contribution. Say that again. Because mercy sees the value of a life and not the lack of a contribution. And I can't wait to get into some of these parables that Jesus taught because so many of them follow up with this. You know, you, you remember the parable of the workers in the field, right? 
a, a farmer had a field and, and he needed workers in the field. So in the morning he hired uh, people and we'll put it in our terms today. He was going to pay him $100 for the day, $100 for a day's work. Well, the, the job was too big for the workers that were there. So he sent his foreman out to hire more people. So at lunchtime, he went out and hired a bunch more people. And still later in the day, three o'clock, two hours before quitting time, he says, we still need more people to, to finish this job. So go send them out. Go, go out and get more. And he did. He went and got more people. At the end of the day, they got their payment. And they paid the last workers first, right? And the last workers got $100 for two hours work. And then the folks that came at lunchtime, they got $100 as well. So here the people that were working all day said, oh, we just hit the, we just hit the jackpot, right? If he's paying these folks $100 for two hours work and for four hours work, we're about to get paid. When they get up there, they get $100. And they were upset about it. Why? Because they thought they deserved more. Because they contributed more than those who came in at the end of the day. But see, mercy sees the value of a life, not the lack of a contribution. And mercy is given to anyone in need of mercy, no matter their contribution or their lack thereof. Because every life in God's sight has value. Proverbs 3.27 says, when it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Mercy ignores the obvious questions, right? When it comes to mercy, come on now, we all know when I'm talking about this stuff and you're thinking about people who in your life don't, they, they deserve, they deserve what they're, get, what they're getting or what's coming to them or, or what you fantasize in your mind about them getting, right? I know, hey, we're all human. Mercy ignores the obvious questions. Why should I? What good will it do? Now, this isn't necessarily mercy, even though, I, well, actually it is mercy, I believe. It's a, I think it's a mixture of grace and mercy. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have had that conversation, that argument with other people about people standing there with a cardboard sign asking for your money, asking for you to help them out? <laughs> All they're going to do, come on now, we're in church, let's speak truth. All they're going to do is go buy alcohol. All they're going to do is go buy drugs. All they're going to do is this. All they're going to do is that. You know what you're really saying? I just want to keep my money in my pocket. They don't deserve it. I work hard for my money. Real proud of our daughter, Maya, right now. She just came through a stretch of working two jobs. She's in between. Now she, she took a new job, but she finished out her commitment to the other job. She was working two jobs, plus going to high school. She finally got geometry. Ooh, yeah, great, wonderful, because I never got it. And I love the smile on Maya's face when she, she says, hey, Dad. She holds up an envelope. There's a certain amount of money in here. She'll tell me how much money. I'm like, wow, that's cool. That's cool. She works hard for the money. You work hard for your money, right? Some cat standing there with a sign that doesn't want you. Here's your argument. He's standing there with a sign. I don't want to get a job. He just wants to freeload. Is that true? Do you know that to be true? Do you know, seriously, I mean, have you sat down and talked? Well, you wouldn't want to do that now. You wouldn't want to sit down and talk with somebody and find out the circumstances of their lives. You see, many times mercy just expresses itself because mercy is the right thing to do. Who's to say that that sign that they're holding is absolute? Who, it, who's to say it's not absolutely true? And they've tried everything. And they just need help. Why do we have to qualify everything? Why do we have to bring our judgment into the situation? Because that's what it is. We're judging them according to what we think we see. 
It ignores the question of why me? Why should I be the one to act? What's the point? What if it doesn't make a difference? I would pose the same question back to you. What if it doesn't make a difference? Does it change the act of mercy on your part? Not at all. You, listen, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of every person ever born, yet people will reject him. Does that mean his death on the cross means nothing? That's the big, if you talk to those who believe in Calvinism and hold to Calvinism, they, many of them believe that um, Jesus died for the elect and not everybody because if Jesus died for everybody and some people reject, his, reject salvation, it means that Jesus' death on the cross was wasted. I disagree. Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for sin. Now we have the opportunity to accept his gift of salvation because he did what he needed to do in his mercy. Mercy ignores the obvious questions, just solves the problem. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It says, as he was passing by, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, here we go, does this sound familiar? Kind of, you could kind of take this out into where our society today. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. How many of you grew up in churches where every problem in life was because of sin, right? Every problem. Who sinned? Oh, your kids are sick. What'd you do? What'd you do? Come on now. Come on now, confess. Jesus simply said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. That's a powerful phrase you might want to think about sometime. There's going to come a point in your life where you can't do good things for other people anymore. There's going to come a point in your life where you can't choose to do the right thing anymore. There's going to come a point in your life when your, your ministry and your mission and your service to God is over. And is it really going to matter the little argument you put up for not showing mercy? It says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, listen to what he does, man. This is, this is so cool. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on the, bl the blind man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. Jesus didn't have to spit in the dirt. He didn't have to make mud and wipe it. Jesus didn't have to send him to a pool to wash his eyes. He could have simply healed the man right there. He did it many times, right? Many times. He, I mean, he healed a little girl who was, who was deathly sick when he wasn't even there. The father said something and he healed the girl. He healed a woman just by her touching his, his, his robe. So Jesus didn't have to spit in the, in, in the dirt and make mud. I think he did that to teach us a lesson. That mercy... Expressing and extending mercy many times means you have to get your hands dirty. Many times means you have to go above and beyond. You have to be the initiator. You're the one that has to make the effort to try to help restore somebody. Mercy acts because there is no other way. There's no other solution. Point number five is this. Mercy plays the long game. Mercy is playing the long game. Since mercy is undeserved, there has to be a greater purpose than just a good feeling. Mercy has eternity in view. True mercy knows that in many cases, the only way a particular individual will either turn to Jesus or turn back to Jesus is by being shown mercy that goes above and beyond normal actions. Let's be honest, Christian. Many of the greatest struggles in your life, in fact, the greatest struggles in your Christian relationships 
come from a place just like this, right? The biggest issues you have with God and with the church and with people come from a place just like this, a church. Sometimes people are hurt because others hurt them and walk away and really don't care. And they blow up a situation and it gets ugly and your reputation is tarnished. They tell lies about you. It's painful. Absolutely painful to go through those things. Mercy knows that in many cases, the only way a particular individual will either turn to Jesus or turn back to Jesus. See, restore them to the faith. You who are spiritual, as much as is within you, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. See, mercy is willing to go above and beyond to help because someone needs to turn back to Jesus. Mercy forgives and moves beyond. Isn't that tough? Isn't it tough to move on? To just move on. You just show some mercy and then you just move on. That's so difficult. Why? Because it's necessary. Mercy does its thing and then moves on. Why? Because it's necessary. Because it's the right thing to do. We show mercy simply because showing mercy is the right thing to do. Because forward progress is impossible without it. Forward progress is impossible in many cases without showing mercy. Listen, some people are never going to turn back. They could be the ones who caused the problem. They could be the ones that were the initiators of the issue. And yet it's going to take your mercy to start moving beyond the issue. As I said before, mercy understands the value of a life. Can I get a little more detailed here? Can I get a little more, bring a little more compassion into what mercy is? Mercy understands this. Mercy understands that everybody struggles. Your struggle may not be my struggle, but we all struggle. I, I, I'm just, on Tuesday, I'll have three weeks. I'm, I'm doing a liquid diet right now. <laughs> Getting ready for surgery, man. Ugh. Getting ready for surgery. Got to shrink my liver. And I'm, listen, I've, I've tried everything. I've, I'm, and I'm very open about this. And I do that not to get sympathy, not to um, show how wonderful a person I am because it doesn't show anything wonderful about me. Just because my struggles hopefully can be an understanding that everybody struggles. And three weeks, they're going to cut that, cut my stomach out. And hopefully the plan is that once they do that, I'll lose a whole bunch of weight and become a figment of my own imagination and, and uh, avoid all those negative things that come from having too much weight on my body. You know, <laughs> you know what people say to me? I, I'm like, you're cheating. <laughs> Have you ever been through surgery? I'm the, kind, I'm the person, uh, now this will be my 10th one. Ask my doctor, if I do 10, do I get one free? So this is my 10th surgery. And after every one, I throw up. Anybody have that joy? You've just had something, just, just have something, they've beaten on your knee to put metal in there, or they've done something to you, and then you, on your recovery, you just sit there and throw up in the, in the recovery room. And I plead with them all the time, listen, this is what happens. It's happened every, it's not just once, it's nine times it's happened. Could you please give me something for it? I have people tell me, oh, you're cheating. Oh, you're taking the easy way out. Okay, listen, that's fine, man. I mean, if that's your view, then don't let them cut your stomach out, I guess. 
I, I, I don't know what to tell you. But what I'm telling you is that I know me. I'm 59 years old. And I had lived in the gym. I would spend two to three hours a day in the gym, 60 minutes of cardio, an hour of lifting. And I still gain weight. I've benched 335 pounds. I was doing good, good work in the gym. And I still gain. I have a problem. I have an issue, man. I have a, an eating disorder. You can believe in those things or not, but I'm living proof that those things exist. What I'm trying to say is everybody struggles. Just because you don't struggle with food doesn't mean you don't struggle. And just because your struggle is different than mine doesn't mean your struggle is more difficult than mine. Try being a fat person in a skinny world, in a world that values thinness. You don't think so? How many, how many ads selling sexy Acuras do you see with fat people? Even McDonald's, some of the worst food for you in the world, uses skinny people. You ever thought about that? Go on a McDonald's diet and see what that does for you. Okay? So my point is this. Everybody struggles. We all struggle. Understand that. Just because it's not your struggle doesn't mean it's not a struggle. Mercy understands that everybody struggles with something. It also understands that nobody is perfect. Even though you may have that perfect standard for people, everybody's perfect. You may have that standard for everybody else, but let me ask you this. Do you meet that perfect standard? No, everybody, nobody is perfect. And mercy understands that relationships can get old and strained. And I think this one, rely, this one really hits home in churches because people make mistakes, people say stupid things, people ignore others, people take others for granted. And many times in church where we're not supposed to, we just act like total jerks to others. I told you, the pastor I worked for said, if somebody leaves our church, we never speak their name again. Wow. I don't think that's right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's right at all. I think sometimes God moves people from place to place because they're finished here and now it's time for them to go there because what is needed there, they could not do here. And they've actually been moved to another place to fulfill God's plan and to help build his kingdom. Why do we have to make it adversarial? Why do we have to make it a competition? Listen, you may think it's cool to be in a church of 3,000 people, and that may be your jam, but try getting involved in a youth ministry. Try getting involved in Sunday school. Other churches need workers. So sometimes God just moves people for the good of the kingdom. So stop Stop harassing others and, and putting up walls because people decided to go somewhere else. And if you're one of those people that others are harassing or treating, this, um, this is where it gets tough, okay? This is where it gets tough. If you're one of those people that they're harassing, and you're one of those people that they're talking about, and you're one of those people that are being abused because of a choice you've made that may even be a good choice, the best choice for your family, this is where mercy comes in. Mercy is tenaciously devoted to renewal and reconnection. Mercy is tenaciously devoted to renewal and reconnection. Mercy does the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do, not because anyone deserves it or the possibility of gain or glory for yourself, it's just the right thing to do. Now, we've hit mercy pretty hard and, and what our responsibility is, but the last thing I want to talk about is this. 
Does mercy draw a line? And that's where the questions have come from a lot of people about mercy. Does mercy draw a line? Is mercy simply something that we have to do? Is showing mercy something that it should just be natural for us? Well, I don't believe so. I believe mercy is one of the most mature acts of a Christian because mercy is one of the most difficult things you'll ever do. Showing mercy is a choice. Even for God, he says, I will show mercy to whom I choose to show mercy. Now, I'm not comparing our choices to the choices of God because God's mercy is his divine way of dealing with things. But what I'm saying is that mercy, showing mercy to other people is a choice. It's not just something you deal out like handing out um, candy at the 4th of July parade. Does mercy draw a line? And I think, I've got to be honest, I think it does. Now, that may shock you after everything I've said and after all the, the distance we've traveled with mercy and how, how we should be the ones who push mercy forward. We're going to see that as we get into more of these beatitudes. The Bible says, as much as it is on you, live at peace with everyone. So mercy should come from us. It should never be motivated by them, and it should never, it's, it's because they don't deserve it. But does mercy draw a line? I believe it does, but not, maybe, but not necessarily the line that you think it should. It should never be a flippant action. It should always be well thought through. Mercy should never be a flippant action. Mercy should be something you pray about, something you consider, something you think about, something you meditate on. Because mercy is something, giving some, not giving somebody something that they deserve. Romans 12, verse 2, the second part says, we have a transformed mind, the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 16 says, we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, have Jesus' mindset in relationships. So when it comes to mercy and when it comes to drawing a line in mercy... We need to draw the lines and we need to have the understanding of the mindset of Jesus Christ and take the whole Bible and the whole teaching of the word into consideration. What do I mean? Understand this. People are not slaves to their actions. They can change. It just takes effort and sometimes someone to go the extra mile of mercy. Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The only excuse, and I, I'll tread lightly here, okay? The only excuse that we have for not changing as Christians is the excuse that we don't want to try. Because the Bible says we can conquer anything through him, okay? The Bible says we can overcome anything through him. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to be the greatest at everything. But the Bible says you can move forward. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given him. When it comes to mercy and understanding if a person, if, if, if this is an act that you should, uh, you should give mercy to, a person that you should show mercy to, man, it should be something you pray about. It should be something you talk to the Lord about. And it should be something you have a peace about because it is what's best for the kingdom of God. Not necessarily what's best for that person, because there's no guarantee that your act of mercy is going to change them, right? But you should be praying and considering what is best for the kingdom of God. And I think mercy, if, if you are considering mercy, and you, I, I believe you want to take a thoughtful, cautious approach, and if you want to take a thoughtful, cautious approach to mercy, and many of you who, who have been hurt in the past by people, by churches, by church people, by pastors, and you're considering showing mercy and, and helping yourself move beyond and helping bridge that gap between the people, 
I think you should have a cautious and thoughtful approach. And I think you should ask some questions. I want to share three of them with you this morning quickly as we close out. The first one is this. Am I enabling? I hope, I hope what we've talked about with mercy comes a little clearer into focus now with that question. Am I enabling? Is my act of mercy going to enable someone? Is my act of mercy going to enable someone to continue bad behavior? That's a consideration, I believe, that you have to take into, into account. Romans 6, 2, and this, this would go with, with Christian because Romans 6, 2 says, how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Christians are supposed to come out of sin. We're supposed to do our best to come out of sin. We're supposed to do our best to help others come out of sin. So if I'm going to show mercy to someone, if I'm going to, uh, help, if I'm going to, to express mercy and not give them something they deserve or not have them experience something they deserve, is my act of mercy enabling them to continue to live in sin? Is my, here's another one, man, and this is, I think this is where a lot of people live when it comes to mercy. Is my display of mercy going to enable someone to take advantage of me or other people in the church? You see, that's where church discipline comes into play. That's where Jesus was talking about church discipline. And where Paul talks about church discipline, he said, people who are living in open rebellious sin, you need to put out of the church. That's not a time to show mercy and say, oh, okay, don't worry about it. Because by them, and listen, I've had it happen here. And I've, I've made the mistake of not handling a matter in the church. I ended up losing about eight families because people felt I was attacking the drug dealer. People felt I was attacking the person who was having the affair and ended up leaving husband two weeks after. But I was the liar. I was the bad guy. You see, what I should have done quite a ways before that is handle the matter, right? So as far as the church goes, that's on me. I enabled that. Through mercy, I enabled bad behavior. So we need to make sure that we're not enabling others to cause problems or take advantage are we enabling someone to avoid God's plan? The second question I would ask is this, am I endangering? Am I endangering? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a for them to learn and to grow from. Am I endangering? Am I endangering myself or others in their walk? Am I putting others' growth through growth in Christ in danger. We have a real uh, a strong policy here for children's ministry that you go through a, a uh, Corey check. And if your Corey comes back and it shows that you can't be trusted with children, we don't let you around the children. Why? Years ago, come in. First thing he said to me, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I want to help you build your children's ministry. Whoa. Okay. Did you want to know my name? <laughs> because I got a real, that's a real red flag, man. When the first thing you say is you want to get involved with my children, that's the first time you've stepped in my church? I'm not going to enable somebody. I'm, I'm not going to put my children, the, the children of this church in danger just because I want to show mercy to others. So are you endangering? Are you endangering yourself or your others in their walk? Are you endangering yourself or others and their purity? Are you endangering others and their sobriety? Real world. 1 Timothy 5.22, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't get involved with the sins of other people just so you can try to be friends with them and, and think it's, it's showing mercy. Still, you still need to have standards in your life, whatever they are. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
So are you endangering your walk, others and their walk, or the church? And lastly, I think you need to ask this question, am I allowing? Am I allowing? Am I allowing sin to pass without accountability? This is a tricky one. Let me explain. Am I allowing sin to pass without accountability? Now, it's not your job to hold other, people's, hold other people accountable. But if you are telling other people and showing them mercy and saying they're okay without having to change, you're telling them that they are not accountable. If we are teaching people that everything's fine, that's just who you are, that's, you know, that's, that's how God made you. Everybody ever have somebody in church say, this is the way God made me. When he wants to change me, he will. Well, I think he wants to change you. You just don't want to change. So are we allowing sin to pass without accountability? It's one thing to forgive. It's one thing to mentor. It's one thing to love and to show grace. It's another thing to tell people they're not accountable for the wrong they've done. And if they've done wrong, I mean, those of you who own a business, somebody comes in and, and robs your business blind, you're just going to say, oh, well, there's always tomorrow. Or are you going to hold that person, make that person be held accountable for their deeds because they harmed other people? And if, they, if you don't, they're probably going to do it to somebody else. See, that's not mean. That's holding someone accountable. Galatians 6, 7 says this. You say, well, pfft, is there scripture for that? There absolutely is. Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Like I said, I'm not the one that's going to bring judgment. You're not the one that's going to bring judgment. But it's not my right, and it's not my job, and it's not my privilege to tell people you're not accountable for your sin. And I'm not going to allow others, by showing mercy, I'm not going to allow others to think that they are not accountable for the wrong they've done. Doesn't mean I don't love them. Doesn't mean I won't restore them. Doesn't mean I won't work with them. But I'm not going to tell somebody, listen, man, <laughs> that's sin. And the Bible clearly gives the principle you can't play the sin game and win. It's just not going to happen. And of course, there's always Romans 14, 12 that says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's where not being somebody's judge comes in. They're going to give the account to God. I hope that this has been enlightening or helpful in some way because I think we all are in places in our lives where mercy is going to be a choice, where we're going to be at a place where, where mercy is something that we have to wrestle with if we're going to build the kingdom if we're going listen if we're going to help ourselves get beyond things and if we're also going to help each other and the church and other people get beyond their struggles but please don't ever think i'm saying just show mercy for mercy's sake because mercy for mercy's sake does nothing for the kingdom of god make sure that you are expressing the love of Christ, and the will of God, and that comes about by praying and seeking God's direction. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the power that you have uh, given to us to be sons and daughters of yours. Lord, the love that you have shown us, the, the um, grace and especially the mercy that you have shown us. Lord, we wouldn't be here without your mercies. Father, there are so many things that we love to hear about from your word. And then there are things that we're just not quite sure about. And I think mercy as, a, as an active policy is one of those things that many of us struggle with. Yet, Father, it can be a very useful and powerful tool in our Christian tool belt. Lord, may we not be quick to display mercy for mercy's sake. May we be thoughtful. May we be deliberate. 
But Father, may we most importantly be desirers to show your purpose, your plan, and your love to others. Father, as we go from here today, pray that you will open doors for us, give us the courage to walk through them. May we go forward as worshipers. May we love others. And may we show them your love. Bless us. In your name we pray. Amen.